Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you. Another Thursday evening, special topic Thursday, where we set time aside to respond to your questions. This is an evening that is tailored to you. Over the course of hosting this program, Seeds of Truth, through the years, I have received so many questions. And while your questions get answered either personally or on air, I just thought it was necessary to set an evening aside to not only respond to your questions, but to really get underneath the questions. So Thursday evening has afforded us the opportunity to really get to the heart of the heart of your question, which by your response has been a blessing. And so I am grateful for that. And speaking of grateful and gratitude, I am especially excited this evening because I do have Father Mike Ritter with me. And uh, if that name is familiar to you, it is because he was with me, oh, maybe seven, eight years ago. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. So, uh, Father Mike, great to have you with me this evening. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be with you. Now, maybe for our listening audience, they don't know, but you were ordained, what, two years ago? Two years ago, yes. And uh, I have Father Mike with me because he has just been assigned to St. John the Baptist Catholic Church here in the friendly confines of Chico, California. So our parish and our community is really excited <laughs> to have you, Father Mike. Um yeah, and so expect to have Father Mike more, and uh, he's looking at me right now thinking, really, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's great to be here, and I'm looking forward to it. So the question for this evening is a question, you know, Father Mike, that I get quite a bit, and it just might be a, a top three question, and it is this. Why does a God who preaches peace speak of the sword as it relates to the family? Now, Father Mike, this is a question that comes to us directly out from Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 42. So what I thought we could do to really get to the heart of this question is read those verses, because we cannot possibly answer this question without an understanding of the context to which Jesus speaks here. So if you can sure. get us going with these verses. Sure. So we'll take a look, and we're looking at the 10th chapter of Matthew's gospel, verses 34 to 42. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I've come not to bring peace, but the sword. I've come to divide a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Whoever receives a prophet in a prophet's name will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever receives a righteous one in a righteous one's name will receive a righteous one's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, amen, I say to you, that one will not lose his reward. So, <laughs> given those verses that you just read for us, Father Mike, in my reflections, there were three key points I thought we needed to talk about to sure. really get to uh, this question. The first is the need to define peace. Second, what does it mean to put God first, 
right? That really does cut to the chase, I think. And third, the cross. To lose ourselves is to find ourselves. This whole idea of turning something upside down so as to turn it right side up. This is the God that we deal with, right? right, right. <laughs> the God of paradox. So um, these three points are the points we're going to explore again so as to, to get to the, the heart of this question. So peace. That is a word that has been defined by so many different, just not theologians, but psychologists. And I think we now have this definition of peace where we've kind of lost our compass. You know, it's a great point, and, and starting with the working definition is good, especially talked about the context. And it's important to note that in this section of Matthew's Gospel, he's not talking about family life. He's not talking about relationship counseling. He's talking about uh, discipleship, and if you can call it the cost of the discipleship, or what that pattern of a disciple's life will be like. You recall in, in John's Gospel, Jesus appears for the first time to the, the, the whole group gathered together, and he says, peace be with you. And he breathes out the Holy Spirit on them, and then they all go out and end up being killed for yeah. the cause. Yeah, yeah. So clearly yeah. the, the, the peace that Jesus is talking about is not the absence of conflict. Uh, in the Old Testament in particular, shalom, peace, has to do with health, wholeness, fullness of life, not necessarily um, consolation or the absence of strife. St. Paul says it so beautifully. He says, the peace of Christ is beyond our understanding. Mm -hmm. Jesus speaks of peace as him giving it in a way that the world does not give it. So we're, again, we're not talking about peace as the absence of conflict. We are looking at an orientation towards God, yeah. our relationship with him. Peace uh, in the context of the gospel is first and foremost this gift which Jesus brings, that the world can bring, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, our connectedness with God, which makes even our losses, uh, even some of our suffering, holy. Uh, in that sense, we can begin to speak of peace. Jesus, he makes an interesting observation. He says, I have not come to bring peace. Mm -hmm. And a great temptation for us would be to read that text in kind of a confused way, say, what are you talking about? You know, you, you came to bring violence. But I think a, a deeper spiritual point is being made here, and that is peace is not something, discipleship, a, a life rooted in God in the abiding presence of the Spirit, as we said, cannot be imposed on us by Jesus. Yep. He can only make it possible. He can invite us into a process of transformation. He can invite us into a process of freedom, which is going to involve losses. It's going to involve uh, being disconnected from some of the things that have kept us attached uh, Jesus says, I have not come to bring it, I've come to make it possible. One last point, he, he speaks of the sword. And it's important to note that uh, we're dealing with some apocryphal imagery here, mm -hmm. which is kind of poetic in nature in a sense. But, but again, more uh, deeply and more spiritually, the scriptures speak of the word of God as a sword. It's penetrating, it divides us, it, it calls for a decision. So Jesus is certainly not advocating violence He's pointing out to his disciples that you are going to know turmoil. That does not mean that I have abandoned you. Mm -hmm. And uh, this call to peace is a call to life in Christ, which is going to kind of divide us against ourselves, against some people around us. Um, he said as much. He says, I have said this to you so that you might have peace. You're going to have trouble in the world, but I have overcome the world. Yeah. To say yes to one thing is to say no to another thing. Absolutely. Whatever you are saying yes to, <laughs> you're going to be saying no to something. Absolutely. And to say yes to Jesus Christ, well, there's a cost. Mm -hmm. There's a cost. But it is also, as you said so beautifully, 
Father Mike, an invitation. I love the back and forth between Philip and Nathaniel, right? At the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we don't know what the encounter looked like between our Lord and Philip, but something happened. Because out from that encounter, he was on fire for God. And he goes to Nathaniel, and he starts to tell Nathaniel about this Jesus of Nazareth, who is the fulfillment to the law of Moses. We found him. And of course, we know the story. Nathaniel's like, nothing good comes from Nazareth, (laughs) you know? This little town tucked away in the cup of hills, with this dirty accent, so on and so forth. And what does Philip say? Come and see. It's the great invitation. I like how you said that. Jesus makes things possible. When I think about peace, it really is about just not the absence of warfare, but spiritual welfare. And that spiritual welfare is about being in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That Hebrew shalom, that covenant harmony with God, that interior harmony with God. Mm -hmm. In many ways, peace speaks to the interior life. Absolutely. That place of making a decision right? Absolutely. That place of saying yes. And I think that's what Jesus is, is getting at. And, it, and it's just fun with words here. But the word a decision literally means to cut in two. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, like yeah, if you yeah, go yeah. for surgery, you get yeah. an incision, you're <laughs> yeah. being cut open. Yeah. Uh, fruit of my prayer, you know, I've, I, I go into the church at night sometimes and I, and I find myself sitting there in the dark and I ask, God, who are you? And this is going to sound weird, but you know what, what always comes back to me, because this is what I've always done. I go in the church and what I kind of get back is, uh, you're the one who's always been with me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the, where we can start to locate peace. Uh, some of those, those nights have been turbulent nights, moments of anguish. Some of those nights have been moments of peace in the way we like to think of it. But I think this, this deeper sense of peace we're talking about, whether we're a persecuted Christianity or a Christianity that's doing okay, is the awareness and the life that flows from the presence, mm-hmm. uh, the abiding gift that the world doesn't give. Mm-hmm. Then whether I'm weeping or whether I'm rejoicing, we can speak of peace. Yeah, the abiding presence of God. Absolutely. The deepest desire of God is that we desire God as much as God desires us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that we abide in the presence of God as God abides in us. Yeah. And this is quintessential to us in our Christian and Catholic walk. I have said before as it relates to the Eucharist, the Eucharist, yes, is us consuming Him, but it is also equally, and maybe more importantly, God consuming us, mm. right? And in that context is the fullness of the abiding presence of God. You know, and I think it's important to put into context that Jesus loves family life, you know, yes, and He's yes. not advocating <laughs> violence. Yeah, yeah. He, he's taking... Um, on two levels, there there's kind of an apocryphal kind of genre happening here where he's using the imagery which calls us to look forward to God's promises. So ultimately, peace is going to be rooted in God's promises, and that this kind of violent imagery calls that to mind. But secondly, Jesus is giving us an image of what ought to represent for us unconditional love. The love of mother, the love of father, the love of family runs really deep. And the point here is being that God's love for us, and thus the decision we make for Jesus, our love for him, ought to be that unconditional and then more. Matthew softens this verse the way we have it in the other uh, synoptic gospels. Unless you hate your father, uh, which is overstated for the same purpose. But his point here in Matthew, and it's, it's, it's significant to mention the difference. He says, you have to love me more. Again, when we're talking about discipleship, when we're talking about being consumed by God, he's saying, take this image which I've given you, the most unconditional, 
consuming love you can imagine. He says, love me more. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there's an invitation there that we can start to speak of peace. It's violence when we discover, gosh, you know, I, I really have been kind of faint-hearted in my discipleship. There are things I have to let go of. That process of losing feels like a sword. You know, it's cutting me open in ways that maybe I wasn't prepared for, but as a path to peace. Yeah. I asked you to join me today because you used a phrase in your homily last Sunday that just, it struck me. Mm -hmm. It was like a sword. We all experience the bite of rejection. Mm. Yeah. That was a great phrase because it really does speak to, in its own way, this violence. (laughs) It's kind of interior violence, if you will. Father Mike, you, you just spoke to something in there, this unconditional love. I have received the question, if it is our Lord's blood that saved the world, that redeemed the world, then could not just one little drop of blood from the infant Jesus save the world? Uh-huh. That's a great question. And it's a question that has an answer. Sure. Because when you really think about it and put it in the context of our Lord's salvific love, the, the salvific love of Jesus Christ, he understood that if he is going to fully redeem man, he redeems him totally and entirely. What am I getting at here? Scientists tell us that there are five and a half to six quarts of human blood. Yeah. If there are five and a half to six quarts of blood in the human body, then that means Jesus had to give five and a half to six quarts of human blood. Why? Because he doesn't hold anything back. Yes. He gives everything. Exactly. And you know, it's so interesting. You, you read John's gospel and we speak of the glory of the Lord. And a lot of times we think that the glory of the Lord is resurrection or heaven. And of course, but really, I think for John, the glory of the Lord is the crucifixion because it's the fullest revelation, demonstration of how God acts, how he loves. He abandons without holding back. You know, this is the life of the Trinity in heaven. The Father gives absolutely everything to the Son and vice versa. What does that look like in human terms? All of my blood until it's gone. Yep, yep. And if we think of salvation simply as God has done it for me, and he has, but it's not sufficient to say that. God has made it possible for me to participate in this way of loving. He's shown me what an authentic, divinized, if you want to call it, humanity looks like. He's made it possible for me uh, to give of myself too in the way that he has shown for me. Couldn't have done it had he not paid the price for my sins, but... Him making the down payment isn't enough. He also makes it yes. possible for me to go and do likewise. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, we say Jesus died for our sins. We say Jesus ransomed us from our sin, and, and all of those things are fine. Yes, he did that. But it isn't sufficient to end there. Yeah. Right? Because what does Paul say? I preach Christ? No, I preach Christ crucified. Mm-hmm what you were just talking about is what we've been talking about in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Uh, The glory of God can also be found in his suffering. And so there's a reason why Matthew here in the verses you read, Father Mike, speaks to the cross. Absolutely. (laughs) You cannot have our Lord, that is to say, the abiding presence of Jesus Christ within us, if we don't first understand the cross. Yeah, and if we have too impoverished a vision of atonement, then it makes God seem kind of bloodthirsty or angry. Yeah. yeah but yeah. rather, uh, there's a call here to discover in human terms something about how God loves. And it's, it's a love that abandons itself completely. And so as Jesus speaks of mission, as he speaks of peace and 
this 10th chapter of Matthew's gospel, as you pointed out, he goes on to say, you have to take up your cross too. Follow me. Do as I do. Yeah. Cicero says to understand the cross is to understand that it is the most extreme punishment to the limit. Yeah. Right? To the limit. He entered into the shame of humanity. Yes. But how do we see our shame? We see our shame as horrific, right? And as it's tied to sin, yes, it is. And so he enters into the horror of humanity. And he must because that's the weight of sin itself, right? That's the weight of sin itself. And so he takes on this shame. He takes on this horror. He takes on the worst of humanity. And as he does so in his divinity, he says, you are better than your worst. Yeah. You know, I love that you use uh, the image of shame because that really is, I think, as we stand before God, conscious of our own sinfulness. There is this dimension of shame that's very much a part of our life. Bishop uh, Robert Barron, he he has a phrase that he uses a lot, speaking of the cross, that I like. He speaks of Jesus uh, venturing to the the very limits of God's forsakenness Mm, mm. and uh, to meet us there. And, And what's always struck me about the way that the story is told, Jesus suffering, death, resurrection, the first words out of Jesus' mouth after his apostles have abandoned him, yeah. left him for dead, totally <laughs> betrayed everything that he tried to get yeah. to them. His first words when he appears is not what happened. Yeah. Where yeah. are you? How dare you? First thing he says, peace, peace be with you. Yeah. Uh. This is what we're talking about, that God can meet us in, in the, the farthest reaches of our God-forsakenness and speak of peace. Yeah. And with that, there there is a call to 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 follow me, to go out and do the same thing. And he, he makes it as a promise. You are going to struggle with this. Yes. I guess the vision of faith is the discovery that, again, peace is not the absence of the struggle, but the sanctification of the journey because of that presence. Yeah. Yeah, I like how Pope Francis put it too, enjoy the gospel. Negotiating treaties are fine, mm-hmm. but in the end, that doesn't bring us what God speaks to. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is this is a good point, I think, Um because to be sure, Jesus comes to bring peace in every sense. That's absolute. But as we, you know, we, we try different systems and we try whatever the public remedy is or the, the negotiations, and all of that is good, important, holy. But there's no healing if we don't let that sword divide us from within and call forth a decision. We, we heal hearts, and healed hearts can heal families, and, and healed families can bring peace to neighborhoods, uh, to nations, so on and so forth. And so what I think uh, Jesus is speaking to here is this project of world peace has to begin with some, uh, with, as you put it, the interior life, that, that call to decision, mm-hmm. which is going to divide me against myself, against some of those around me. But if peace can happen there, then I can be at peace with others. If I have no peace with myself, I have none with you. And when you spoke of shame, and it's so, I think, important because um, Jesus' words, they show his disciples even your weaknesses, your failures have not made you my enemies. And I think as we go through life, as we do experience difficulties, one of our great temptations is to say, this is happening because I wasn't a good enough person. I'm being punished. Mm-hmm. Somehow God has become my enemy. So to speak of peace is not to say, I'm not going to struggle in my life. My family life is going to be perfect. It's the discovery. Although I am not, I, although I am having difficulties, this does not mean that somehow God is against me. Yeah. Then we can speak of peace. Yeah, my, my life is difficult, but it's difficult with and for you. Yeah. One of the things that is interesting about sacred scripture is that we call it 
divine revelation. Okay, you know, we look to the sciences and we research those sciences because, well, there's something to discover. And could we not say that about God, God who comes to reveal himself to us, that the more time we spend with sacred scripture, you know, Father Mike, the more we can come to understand what you're talking about now is true, yeah. right? It's, it's true. Yeah. I mean, it's really what lies at the heart of the whole narrative of salvation history. Mm-hmm. If we can grab hold of that in the spiritual life, in the spiritual journey, we would be well on our way. And again, it just comes back to this question that has been asked, because when we say, why does our Lord preach blessed are the peacemakers, but then you know, days later talk about, I have not come to bring peace, yeah. to understand that the deeper truths in sacred scripture are those truths that we can only access if we spend more time with it. Yeah, and I would just reiterate that when Jesus says, I've not come to bring peace, of course he has, yeah. but he has not come to impose it. He, mm-hmm. We can only choose that for ourselves, and, and that word of decision cutting in two mm-hmm. is going to be part of the process. I, I read an interesting uh, thought by Ronald Rollheiser a couple weeks back. He speaks of the gospel, and he says, you know, the gospel does not call forth a million acts of virtue, but a progressive act of surrender. Mm-hmm. That somehow mm-hmm. a peace in our life is this ongoing striving to surrender to God. And surrendering involves letting go of what we'd held on to before, call that a sword, call that conflict, some relationships that, that uh, might be lost on the journey. Yeah. Uh, they're in the call, Jesus said, love me more, follow me then we can begin to speak of peace. Yeah. You know, I get the question asked quite often, Joe, with all the evil in this world, how can you possibly say there is a God? My answer to that question, you know, Father Mike, is, well, it's because there's evil in the world that we know there's a God, Mm. right? Because in the end, God cannot impose, right? God is love, and what is inherent in love is the free choice, Absolutely. not from without, but from within, yeah. something that comes from within. Yeah, the loving affirmation uh, there is that God takes us seriously in our freedom and, and uh, that we're not puppets, and what we do, it, and, and we know that life is a struggle, we make our decisions, uh, be they good, be they mistakes, but, but that God honors and takes us seriously in our freedom. Your life and your choices actually matter. Uh, that's a great gift of love. Amen. As a father, one of my greatest joys, if not my greatest joy, is when my children freely choose to love their siblings or me or, you know, their mother. There's a joy in that that I cannot put to words. (laughs) On the flip side, there would be no joy if each and every morning I just wound up my children and said, do this or do that. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I could. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there would be no joy in that. Yeah. And as Benedict XVI has reminded us in the great angelic salutation from the, from the angel Gabriel to Mary, joy is the first proclamation of the New Testament. Why? Because love speaks in joy. Hmm. Peace and joy are the twin fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. Right? Uh, when you start talking about those fruits that are evangelical, and I use that word in, in its truest sense, yeah. right? They evangelize, um, very important, because this, you've already said it, the context 
for these verses are the condition for discipleship, the conditions yeah. for evangelization. The context is mission, and that's why yeah. what you say is so important. Jesus, I have not come to bring peace for you. I've come to do it in you, through yeah. you. So yeah. take up your cross and follow me. Yeah, St. Paul says we are earthen vessels. Yep. We are earthen vessels, and so there's going to be hardships. There, there's going to be affliction, and there's going to be shame. There's going to be horror. There's going to be all of these things, but in Christ, you can do it. I'm sure as a priest, Father Mike, you get so many people coming to you, Father Mike, I've got all of this going wrong and that going wrong, and I don't see God and, and this and that. And, and in the few times I have received that question and or maybe observation about individual lives, I go to this narrative. I speak to peace because to understand what we're talking about is to understand that Jesus is in the storm with you. Yeah. Right? When he awoke in the boat and there were these tempest winds, he was in the storm and he said, peace, be still. So in a manner of speaking, we can say with Jesus Christ, with the abiding presence of Jesus Christ living within us, we can look into the eye of the storm. And by storm, I mean all of those trials and and very difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in and say, peace, you will not dominate me. It's that sense of peace by proximity. Yeah, peace yeah. as the presence of Jesus, not the absence of conflict. Yep. I, yep. Uh, one, one kind of final thought for me, I, I was reading this book by uh, Viktor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, and he talks that about... That is an extraordinary book. I've quoted yeah, it, that his, book on yeah, this radio great, before. His experience in the concentration camps, and he points out that man's peace or his well-being has to do with his ability to see a future. Yep. And in this apocryphal imagery of swords, and tra- I mean, Jesus is calling our attention that ultimately peace is rooted in the future. Jesus says, you are going to struggle in this life, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Yeah. Um, there was a great, uh, quoting Rollheiser again, he says, the problem with us, we, we, we lack peace because a lot of the times we're not living a meta-narrative, which is to say we don't see the small story of our lives as being a part of this larger story in which Jesus has already overcome the world. If, if I don't have that kind of horizon, then when the wheels are falling off in my life, the wheels are just falling off. But if I'm living a larger story, call it a meta-narrative, in which Jesus has already overcome the world in the final chapter, then it's okay if the wheels come off in the middle of the story because I know where I'm going. Yeah. Ultimately, when we're speaking of peace, we're speaking about the presence of Jesus and with us on the journey, but definitively realized uh, at the end of time and we have to hold both of those perspectives, I think, in tension as we kind of reflect on this call, this gift of peace. It has been observed by one that we live either in an ego drama or a theodrama, yeah. right? Yeah. And what is the ego drama? The ego drama is the play we write, the play we script, the play we produce and direct, and above all else, the play that we star in. The theodrama is this narrative that you're talking about, the larger narrative which specifically is that narrative which God writes, produces, directs, and above all else, stars. And and in that sense, we can, as you speak to it, Father Mike, get a hold of what we are dealing with here, that there's something bigger going on than than me, myself, and I. And that sheds a lot of light on the text. Don't say, my father, my brother, my sister-in-law, my mother. Yeah, yeah. That um, there's a call here to, what did Jesus say, love me more. Mm -hmm. More. Amen. Well, Father Mike, I am looking up at the clock, and we are out of time. Like I said before we came on air, this is going to fly by. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been great to be with you. Yeah, and I do thank you for your gift of time, Father Mike. And uh, with that, 
Uh, I hope to have you on sometime in the near future. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of this time, the gift that you have afforded us to reflect into the richness and the beauty of your word. And Father Mike, if you can offer all of our listeners a blessing, that would be great. Sure. The Lord be with all of you who are with us uh, listening, and we ask that God pour out uh, gifts of peace and, and grace, the, that presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask uh, God's blessing upon you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.